The Holy Gospel according to John, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham, and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Five hundred years ago this Tuesday, on October 31, 1517, a German Catholic monk named Martin Luther, ten days shy of his 34th birthday, nailed 95 theses, 95 things that he maintained were true, to the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. He publicly posted those statements because he wanted them discussed. He wanted them discussed because he believed the church of his day was saying things and doing things that were in direct contradiction to truths that he had learned were true by reading the Bible. He wrote them in Latin, not German, because Latin was the language of the educated and of the church. It was not the language of the people. And Luther really intended this initially to be an in-house kind of leadership, educated people kind of discussion. It didn't work out that way because others then immediately did translate them into German. Plus, not too many years earlier, a man by the name of Gutenberg had invented a device called the printing press. And Luther's 95 theses went viral as they were printed and distributed not just throughout Germany but through all of Europe. In fairness to a Czech theologian named Jan Hus, I should point out that Luther was not actually the very first one to say a number of the things that he said in his 95 Theses. Hus had said some of the very same things a century earlier. But that was a different time and place, a different context, one difference being that there wasn't in Huss's time a device called a printing press quickly to distribute material and build support. Huss was burned at the stake for being a heretic, someone whose ideas were dangerously wrong. The name Huss in Czech means goose. As the executioner was igniting the flames, he was said to have said, now we will cook this goose. To which Huss was said to have replied, but in a century there will come a swan whom you cannot roast. A century later, Luther became known by many as the swan. Leo X, the pope in Luther's time, was decidedly not Francis, the Pope in our time. Francis is a tireless advocate for the poor and for the marginalized who lives very simply. Leo, on the other hand, when crowned Pope, said, God has given us the papacy, let us enjoy it. He lived and spent lavishly. He was very corrupt. 
He was also very not one bit interested in having a debate about what was true. What was true was what he said he was true. He's the Pope. So anybody else, just shut up. That's that. So when Luther finally did get the chance in front of church and state to, he believed, have this discussion, this conversation to debate the things he believed to be true and to defend his beliefs, he found out that a discussion wasn't on the agenda. Rather, the Pope had already decided about the truth of Luther's theses, and they weren't true. And so on the agenda now was the sole purpose of Luther renouncing them, taking them back, recanting, asking forgiveness for them, for everything he had written. Or like Huss, he would be condemned, excommunicated, and sentenced to death. Luther was caught just a bit off guard by that agenda, which he didn't realize was the agenda, and he was given overnight to think about his reply, at which point he did reply, Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and consuls, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe, here stehe ich, ich kann nicht anders. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And the deal that was not a deal, but a papal bull, was sealed. And Luther was condemned as a dangerous heretic, excommunicated from the church, to be killed. Except that the power of the printing press wasn't the only thing that was different in Luther's time as composed to Huss. There was also the powerful power of a powerful German prince named Frederick the Wise, who liked Luther. Frederick had a university, and he was proud of it, and Luther was a teacher there. Frederick had his soldiers stage a kidnapping of Luther, and they did. And everyone saw Luther carried off and assumed he had been executed like he was supposed to be. In fact, Frederick had him hidden in a castle of his that was called the Wartburg. The Fort, Fort, Fortburg. <laughs> how does, you'll tell me later how I should have said that. <laughs> While sequestered there, Luther, in 11 weeks, astounding, in 11 weeks, translated the entire New Testament from Greek into German. It became known as the September Testament. The language it was in, German, was not now the language of the educated and the elite, but the language of the people. And printing presses printed away. Unfortunately, 80 to 9% of the people were illiterate. Luther, therefore, called for cities in northern Germany, which is really the area where his influence was, was centered, called for cities in northern Germany to establish and maintain public schools in which boys and girls could receive education in reading, arithmetic, and religious instruction. I read this week that this was the first time in human history that a nation was called to educate boys and girls from all socioeconomic classes and to do so through the taxation of its citizens. The pushbackers pushed back. The poor actually didn't want their children in school. They wanted them helping with work. The rich, of course, didn't want the children in school. They wanted them where they were. But Luther pushed back 
Carter. He was kind of like that. And within 50 years, there were over 300 public schools established in the regions in northern Germany. That trifold coming together of Luther's translation, Gutenberg's invention, and public education for the first time in history democratized knowledge, made it available to all, so that all, from Luther's perspective, could read the Bible and read other things too. Luther left the Wartburg after a year to reemerge as a public figure who was alive and well. Of course, he still stood condemned as a dangerous heretic, uh, subject to death. But while he remained mostly in northern Germany, he was protected by Elector Frederick the Wise and other German princes in the area who had adopted his reforms as well. And he lived another 23 years writing, teaching, sometimes ranting, eventually marrying, but ever the clear leader of a group of people who came to believe that the things Luther maintained were true, were true, even if popes said otherwise. And they formed a separate church based on the reforms that Luther had so wanted to see in his Roman Catholic church, but it wasn't to be, at least not at that time. Luther's enemies mocked the church by calling it Lutheran, which in their mind meant dangerously wrong, heretical. The name stuck and was even kind of proudly embraced by some of Luther's followers, though Luther hated it. He wrote, who is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. And then it, with, with Luther could get so colorful. How did I, poor stinking bag of maggots that I am, come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name? Luther, you see, did not do the things that he did or say the things that he said personally to be lifted up he did all the things he did to lift Jesus up. Jesus, whom he had discovered by reading the Bible, was not the, the Jesus that the church of that day was telling everybody he was, which is to say the son of an angry God whose delight was in sending sinners to hell unless with enough good works and or generous contributions and or acts of penance they somehow managed to appease God's wrath and find their way into God's favor Luther, reading the Bible, discovered Jesus to be the savior of sinners, the son of a merciful and loving and grace-moved God whose mercies are a gift, a free gift to be received simply by faith. Faith which Luther himself also came to believe, faith itself which he believed was an act, a gift of God, the product of the Holy Spirit working in people's minds and hearts, calling sinners home to the promises of the Savior. Luther, we need to be honest about this, Luther was not perfect. And he would be ashamed of me if word got to heaven that I had suggested otherwise. And so in part, for example, perhaps in part because he was a child of his time, but that makes it no less uh, inexcusable, 
Luther in his lifetime said some God-awful things about the Jews. Things which Lutherans since have needed to and have done, recanted, taken back, renounced, asked forgiveness for. He also, when the church debates became church fights and got as ugly as church fights just inevitably get, he also said some things about brothers and sisters in Christ, most specifically, most often, Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. He said them, sometimes he said things that shouldn't have been said. Sometimes he thinks, things, said things that were okay to say, but he shouldn't have said them the way he said. At our joint commemoration of the Reformation with our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters two weeks ago, we acknowledged that and we asked for forgiveness. And they, in turn, acknowledged that the same thing went the other direction. And they asked for forgiveness. And then together, we pledged not to pretend that there are no differences between us. There still are some that remain, but to continue to work through our remaining differences as brothers and sisters in Christ, whose faith in and love for our one and the same Lord can make more loving and faithful our one and common mission to be Christ's church. In a world which, of course, itself is in so many ways hatefully divided, and which therefore so needs a church whose one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who so loved not just the church but the world that he gave himself, all of himself, all the way to a cross for the healing, the reconciling, the redeeming, the saving of the world. And so... 500 years later, living in a world still sin-broken, here, to paraphrase Luther, here stehen wir. Here we stand. Our ELCA bishop, Elizabeth Eaton, who, by the way, women as, as bishops and pastors, that's a reform that we ELCA Lutherans would still like to see the, the greater church um, reform in the direction of our bishop has said that the most important day to consider this week is not October 31, 1517, Reformation Day. She said the important day is October 32, 2017, which is her way of reminding us that our commemorations of the Reformation are no more helpful or meaningful than nostalgia. The only thing we do is look back 500 years to it. Our commemorations of the Reformation will only be as helpful and truly meaningful as our faithful steps to live into the future and live out into the world as descendants of it. And what would that look like, do you suppose? <clears throat> I'm going to suggest three things. A faithful and forward-looking commemoration of the Reformation would, first of all, look like you living every day of your life on this earth that you have yet to be given, remembering that you are absolutely and unconditionally loved by God. And if you wonder about that, I need to tell you something. <clears throat> Jesus Christ was given to die for your, your sins, and by your sins, I mean your sins. Your sins are forgiven. 
There's no need to live one more moment guilty or afraid. You can live free of charge. You can live forgiven and loved. A faithful and forward-looking church is, is, is a, it celebrates the reformation, first of all, by you living your life on this earth every day that you've yet to be given, doing exactly that, remembering how deeply and unconditionally you are loved. Secondly, a faithful and forward-looking commemoration of the Reformation would look, too, like a church, a community of believers, which is a church where grace lives. I don't need to tell you, you can see and hear this, there's a lot of not grace in the world. I wish I didn't need to tell you, but you can see and hear this, too. there's a lot of not grace in the world in the name of God. People hating God people and judging people and hurting people and condemning people in the name of a God who it usually turns out hates the very same people they do. A faithful and forward-looking commemoration of the Reformation would look like a church where grace lives, which would be a church where God loves the people you love and God loves the people you don't love, and together we bathe in that. The bathwater being the grace sudsed waters of baptism. And finally, a faithful and forward-looking commemoration of the Reformation would be not only look like you and not only look like us together, reformed by love, it would also look too like you and us together, reforming this sin and hate-broken world with love. Luther, like St. Paul before him, because, because he talked about the fact that we are, we are not saved by doing good works, Luther was often accused of saying that good works aren't needed. That is absolutely not anything Luther said. What he said is that God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Yes, he said, it is by faith alone that we are drawn close to a loving God but that loving God then calls us to draw close to the needs of others. Luther saw a church in his day so religiously preoccupied with escaping an angry God's hell that it had no time or energy for much more than fear. Luther, transformed by the gospel's good news that we can entrust ourselves and our forevers into the, into the arms of a God of mercy and grace, Luther envisioned a church which had all the time in the world for love. And so, and this is so often not remembered, Luther and the early reformers did not just proclaim God's love for the needs of people's souls. They also reached in hands-on, concrete, tangible ways to reach to the needs of people. And so they built public schools. But they also provided for the hungry, there were chests where loans could be given free of charge to people who were trying to rise above um, the level they were at. There were, they provided health care for the sick. They provided training for the unemployed. They provided shelter for the homeless. Because, said Luther, when it comes to our relationship with God, we are made righteous passively. It, it's done to us. It's a gift. But there's another kind of righteousness, Luther said, which is the righteousness that is ours lovingly, actively to be about as we reach with love to the needs of our neighbors.
Menschen Gottes, people of God, hier stehen wir, here we stand, let us faithfully and future-lookingly commemorate the Reformation by living in those directions, you remembering a God of grace whose unconditional love is love for you, us gathering as a community of grace where God's love is love for all, and us individually and together living in this still so often graceless world, doing what we can do and are called by God to do in the loving direction of the needs of all. And may all God's people say, Amen. Amen.